good morning, everybody, uh, here and also online. Uh, thank you for being here. Uh, it's good to see you. Uh, a couple of announcements to get started this morning. Uh, we do have our movie night next week, next Saturday. So we're going to be showing God with Us, uh, Karis production. Uh, and uh, we'll be showing that at 7 p.m. So if you're local, uh, feel free to bring uh, family, friends, yourself if you can. And then uh, we'll enjoy that. Uh, that means we don't have Bible study next Saturday in Pasadena because we can't be in Pasadena and Ontario at the same time. And uh, so uh, no Bible study next week in Pasadena because we have movie night here. But we do have a Bible study tonight and every Sunday night at 6 o'clock and a better way to pray. And then we have our Bible classes online on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org. So uh, feel free to uh, join us if you, if you can on those. All right, well, without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and jump into the Word this morning, and uh, we're talking about the last few weeks, my favorite topic, which is about being established in righteousness. And just again, I, uh, just a little recap of what we've covered to this point. My favorite verse says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We are righteous in Him. Jesus became our sin. Yes, we were in sin. Yes, we've all sinned and we, we were born in sin. But Jesus was born to become that sin for us, our, our worthy Lamb, our propitiation, so that we could become the righteousness of God in Him. In other words, He gave us His righteousness. He took our sin and gave us His righteousness. It was a big exchange. And, uh, um, and so that, that, that's what God provided for us. In Romans 1, 16 and 17, we've talked about how, uh, for the, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is, the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation, to everyone who believeth. And then it goes on to say in verse 17, for the, and it, in the right, in this gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed. The God, in other words, the gospel reveals this righteousness. The gospel reveals that he became our sin, that we might become righteous in him. We're not righteous in and of ourselves. That's self-righteousness. We are righteous in him. We are not in ourselves. The Bible says that we're, we know no man not from the flesh. We are crucified with Christ. It's no longer we who live, but the life that we live, we live by the faith of God, by faith in the Son, and by his love and, and, and our faith. Excuse me, I'm jumping my words right now, but going back to Romans 1, 16 and 17, it says that not only is the righteous God revealed, but the righteous God revealed from faith to faith. We put faith in His grace. We put faith in what He did for us at the cross. We put faith in the, in the fact that He gave us His righteousness. And my heart in this message is not just to teach righteousness, although we are, but for us to be established in that. So we know who we are. So we're grounded and rooted in that. Psalm 89 says that righteousness and justice, or righteousness and truth, are the foundation of his throne. It's the foundation. A throne is where the king reigns. But the foundation of that throne is righteousness and justice. And so, and we talked about also in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 to 13, how uh, we, we need to be, until we are established, until we are... Um, are establishing into the word of righteousness until we are establishing the, in the first principles, the, the, the elementary teachings of righteousness, we will be babes. Until we're grounded in who we are in Christ, 
spiritually speaking, we will be babes. There's nothing wrong with being a babe. A babe is still saved as a, as a, a mature Christian. They're both saved. Praise God. But we're supposed to grow up in Him in all things. We're supposed to grow up. We're supposed to mature. If we're not mature, then we are. We can be gullible to every wind of doctrine. We can be gullible when we're going through the trials and things uh, um, that we may go through. We can be also codependent on a pastor or uh, a speaker like Andrew Womack and other people. Praise God for them. Praise God for the fivefold ministry. But we want to be codependent on Christ. And uh, we want to be mature enough. You know, when we grew up as a, as a young child, as a, as a toddler, as a young child, there was a season we needed to be codependent on mom and dad. We needed that. But as adults, we don't need to be codependent. It would be unhealthy to be codependent on mom and dad at our age as adults. So, and sometimes when we're going through uh, tough times, sometimes we need to be somewhat codependent on others to help us get out of the, the situation. But, uh, and I... Uh, but that's not the goal. The goal is to help us get back on our feet so we can be independent, in a sense, but co always codependent on Christ. Am I making sense? But there's a maturity in that. And uh, also, with maturity comes reproduction. A child, uh, uh, whether we're talking about a, a human being, whether we're talking about a plant, or whether we're talking about an animal, until it comes to the maturity, it can't reproduce. And we want to see others come into the kingdom. We want them to be... Uh, in Hebrews chapter 5, which I was speaking of, he says, by now you should be teachers, but someone still has to teach you the first principles, the elementary teachings. One sign of growth, one sign of maturity, is that you can teach others. I know that we're not all maybe have a gift of teaching, or behind a pulpit, or in a classroom type thing. That's not what I'm talking about. But I mean, no, we can teach people in conversation. We influence people how we live, how we talk, how we respond. Uh, People influence us all the time. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And we influence others for the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so and, 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 uh, so there's different levels of teachings. As parents, we're teaching our children. As grandparents, we're teaching our grandchildren. As friends and, and, and members of the body, we're, we're admonishing and encouraging and spurring one another on. There's a form of teaching there. But we, we're, we're going to be inadequate as teachers if we're not skilled in the word of righteousness. If we're not skilled. Now, there's some areas, some subject matters, I don't feel fully skilled on. I can't teach on those, because I don't feel skilled on. But there's some matters, and I'm talking about biblical, there's some biblical principles or, or doctrines or teachings I don't feel comfortable sharing, because I don't feel fully skilled to teach it yet. But there are some things I do, and righteousness is one of those things. That makes sense. I, I can't teach the things I don't know, or I'm not establishing, but I can teach the things I are. And so, uh, and I'm okay with that. Andrew, there's some areas Andrew, Andrew refuses to teach on something he has not been able to process and get established on his own. He just won't teach on it yet. And, uh, uh, and, uh, and so, uh, I think there's wisdom in that. And, uh, and so, my, my point is that we want to be teach others, but we need to grow up, but we need to be established. And the first principle, the very elementary teaching that we need to be established in is righteousness who we are in Christ because of what he's done. If we're not, the enemy's going to trip us up. The enemy's going to mess with our minds and our identity in, our, um, in every which way. And so when we understand righteousness, when we understand who we are in Christ, uh, we have we have peace. First of all, we have peace with God because we, otherwise we think we're, we never measure up. But we do measure up because of Jesus. That makes sense? 
But if we, if we don't think we measure up, we're, we're going to be timid in approaching God. When Adam sinned, who hid from each other? And God didn't hide from Adam. Adam hid from God. And when we're not secure in our righteousness, we will hide from God. We will, I'm not saying we won't show up to church or something like that, but sometimes we won't even do that. But when we're not established in righteousness, it affects our relationship with God. Not in the sense that he hides our mouth or he's judging us, but when we're in sin and when we're not established in righteousness, we will be timid in our relationship with him. It, it affects how we relate to him, not so much how he relates to us. If, uh, hopefully that's making sense. But uh, we also talked about in 2 Timothy 3.16 how all scripture is is inspired by God and profitable for doctrine, which means teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training or instruction in righteousness, so that the man of man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. As a pastor, as a teacher, as a brother, my heart is for all of you to be thoroughly equipped for every good work wherever God has put you. I'm not just talking about the workplace. I'm not excluding the workplace. But everywhere God has put you, in your home, your family, your friends, your influence, just in your own life and, and, and in society, I want you to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And how do we do that? By being indoctrinated, reproved, corrected, and trained in righteousness. Okay? Um, we also talked about in Ephesians chapter 4 how this we're supposed to uh, so learn Christ, so learn this truth that's in Christ, and this truth that's in Christ is that we put off the old man in the, in the spirit of our minds, and we put on the new man who's created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. There's a transformation that takes place, and it starts here. We, how we think, how we see ourselves. When I understand righteousness, it changes how I see God, it changes how I see myself, and it changes how I see other people. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Not just me. You're just as righteous as I am if you are in Christ Jesus. And it changes how I, tr I see one another. Um, but, uh, but we are to put off the old man. We're not to think like the old man. We're not to think like a sinner anymore. Because we're not a sinner anymore if we're in Christ. This truth that we're supposed to be so permeated and saturated in is that we put off the old man. And in the spirit of our minds, we put on the new man who is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. If there's a true righteousness and holiness, that means there, there could possibly be a fake. There could be a counterfeit of that, which is self-righteousness. And we'll talk about that a little bit later uh, in our study. But it just, uh, but my, my, you know, even, when the, even in, the, in the financial industry, they don't, we had a bank, perhaps, and I've worked at a bank, but I've also different things. They don't teach you all the counterfeits. So you're schooled on all the counterfeits. They teach you what the real dollar bill looks like. So that when the counterfeit shows up, you just know, because it's not the real deal. So there's a lot of counterfeits to the true righteousness and holiness of God. But I'm not here to teach all the, all the counterfeits. I'm here to teach the true thing. So that when the false comes up, when the, something that doesn't line up to the Word of God comes up, you are skilled in the Word of Righteousness. You are permeated and saturated in the Word of Righteousness. You are schooled, you are grounded, established, and so you just recognize this is not God, this is not the truth, this is not the Gospel that reveals the righteousness of God. That makes sense. When you understand the real deal, and we're still learning, but when we understand it, 
there are times when things come up, teachings come up, people share teachings with us, in fact we encounter them, uh, and not just talking about teachings, but even just uh, in a conversation, the, someone will make a statement or a point or uh, whatever, and there's just something that just either bears witness that this is true, or bears witness that this is not, or it doesn't bear witness that this is true. And I, I, how is that? One, I believe mainly the Holy Spirit, but also because we've been grounded in the Word. We know we, we, we're not going to be, there's some theology, some doctrines, we're not going to be we tossed here and throw by every word of doctrine. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 that he gave apostles, apostles, pastors, teachers, uh, uh, prophets, I, I know I didn't did do it in the right order, but uh, you got my point, the five-fold ministry, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to uh, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we won't be children tossed by every wind of doctrine. Um, there's a lot of, it talks about how the craftiness, the, 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 the cunning of false teachers and whatnot. And it's very cunning, it's very crafty, it's very subtle, it's very deceiving. It sounds good. The, I mean, you know, the gospel, by definition, is good news. It's too good to be true news, but sometimes the false, the counterfeit, sounds good too. Uh, and I didn't mean to go here, but wisdom, there's two kinds of wisdom. I taught this in my wisdom series last year, but there's a, there's a, there's a natural wisdom, which is natural, earthly, and James calls it demonic, um, but it, it sounds natural, it sounds sensual, it sounds, it, it sounds wise because it is. There's a version of wisdom in it, but it's, it's, it's not from God, it's, 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 it's demonic. But there's another wisdom that's from above. And it's, it's, it's peaceful, it's full of mercy, without partiality, it's willing to be entreated, and it's a, it has, there's good fruit to it, it's peaceable, and there's two kinds of wisdom. Proverbs talks about different kinds of wisdom too, and, and then these different kinds of wisdom. And so, the enemy, in the counterfeit, and false doctrine can sound wise. But we need to be able to discern by the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, and by being mature enough to discern what's right and what's wrong. There's a lot of prophecies in Isaiah and Haggai and Zephaniah and a lot of the prophets about the society that calls evil good and good evil. And we are in a society today where a lot of our society is calling good evil and evil good. We need the wisdom of God. We need to be established in His righteousness so we know who we are and we know the truth. Because we should know the truth and the truth will set you free. And actually, before Jesus says that in John chapter 8, verses 31 32, He says, You will be my disciples indeed. He's talking about discipleship. A disciple, you don't become a disciple just by taking one seminar or one message. You are being schooled, you are being trained, you are an apprentice, you are being discipled over a period of time. The disciples walked with Jesus three and a half years. Uh, there's, there's a period of time. And, uh, and, and, we, and God didn't call us to make converts. Yes, there's a starting point where we, we receive Christ, but He called us to make disciples, teaching them things. And there's things that we need to be taught. And one of those things is righteousness. I know this is a long introduction recap, but we also talked about love. And I'm, I'm going to use one scripture in this that ties in with righteousness. John says this in 1 John chapter 4, yeah, this is love, not that we love him, but that he loved us and became our propitiation, and that's righteousness. And we're going to spend a little more time with that concept uh, as we go into, especially in the next segment of our, of our teaching. Um, 
and then uh, so we're going to be spending time on that. But uh, it also goes on to, uh, several times in that in that passage of uh, chapter First John chapter four. John talks about how God is love, and love is of God. And then it goes on to say, it makes a statement in First John chapter four verse seventeen that as He is, so are we in this world. And I can I can I've heard that verse been said many different ways uh, through the years, and I, I, I agree with a lot of them. But, but the context is talking about love. The context is talking about how God is love. The context is talking about how we love one another because God is us. We're abiding in God and God is not. When we abide in love, we abide in God. And when we abide in God, we abide in love. So the whole concept is talking about love and how we are to love because God is love. And we are God and we know God. So the whole context is talking about that. And it says, as he is, so are we in this world. How is he? Yes, he's, he, there's many attributes of God. He's not just love. He's also peace. He's also powerful. He, there's a lot of different aspects of God. But the context is talking about love. And, and God is love. As he is love, so are we in this world. And as we, again, as we are indoctrinated, reproved, corrected, and trained in righteousness, will we be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that includes being loving. That includes loving one another. When I understand how God has forgiven me and made me righteous and has shown me mercy, it's easy in my spirit to be merciful and forgiving and long-suffering to my fellow man. That makes sense? When I'm struggling with me being right with God because of my doctrine or whatever, I struggle with loving others the way I should, being forgiving and being patient with others, being excuse me, peaceful with others. Because I'm still struggling because of my doctrine. I'm still struggling because of the way I see myself. Now, when I see myself in a healthy view, and the way God sees me, I now can love my one another as I should. Uh, that makes sense, and, and that, that's very, very, very powerful. Okay, all that introduction recap set aside. Go, let's go to go with me in the Bibles to Second Corinthians chapter eleven. And I'm sorry, my. Apple TV is not working again today. I, I didn't work on it like I said it was last week. So I apologize for that. And uh, I'll see if I can get to that this week. I've been really busy lately. But uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and we'll pick it up in verse 2. And I'll I want to pick up where we left off last week. We were talking last week about the subtle beguilement. Um, and this will make sense in just a moment. Let's read the context here. Second Corinthians 11 verse 2. And Paul's speaking here. He says, For I am jealous for you, with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I might present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another, another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well quit up with it. You know, this is some strong language, in a sense, from Paul. And he's concluding, this is his second book to the church at Corinth. And he's coming to the conclusion of this book, this letter. 
and he's written two, at least two letters in context here, and, and he's just pouring out his heart. He's being frank. He's being forward with his listeners. But I'm jealous with you. I, I don't know about you, but I hear his compassion. I hear his heart. There's a warning here. There's, a, there's, a, there's an exhortation here. But it's not done out of pride. It's not done out of spite or maliciousness. It's done out of love. He says, I'm jealous with you over a godly jealousy. Everything I've taught you, everything I've been doing to, 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 to train you and equip you to good works, I have betrothed you to one husband that I might present you to Christ. And, uh, but I fear, and sometimes there's, I believe there's a godly fear, I fear that somehow as the serpent deceived so by his craftiness, that cunning, that craftiness that I just talked about and I referred to in Ephesians chapter 4. So your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. There is a simplicity that's in Christ. And because sometimes it's so simple, we make it so complicated. And when we make it complicated, that's where the enemy sometimes trips us up. And that's a short version of what I'm trying to say here, there's more to it than that, but it, the gospel is very simple. What Jesus has done, that he died, he, 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 uh, he, he was born of a virgin, he died for us, he was, he was crucified, he died, he was buried, and he rose again. And now he's standing or sitting at the right hand of God. And the, that's the shortest form of the gospel. What, what he came to die, that we might be in right relationship. We couldn't have been in right relationship with God because of sin. So Jesus became our sin. But that we can become the righteous of God. That we can have a right relationship with God. And, and so he loved us so much. It's so simple. And what we, we, we have been so trained religiously that we need to do something. We can't save ourselves. We need a Jesus. The only thing we can do, because the just, the righteous, lives by his faith. We, how did we receive Christ? Because we put faith in what he did. We heard the gospel, we believed the gospel, and we're saved. You see this throughout the book of Acts. They heard the gospel, believed the gospel, and were saved. They heard the gospel, believed the gospel, and were saved. And Colossians 2 says the same way that you receive Christ, so walk ye in him, being rooted and grounded and established in the faith as you've been taught. How did we receive Christ? Did we receive Christ because we got our life all together and then we were now qualified to receive Christ? No, we received Christ because we needed a Savior. We were hopeless. We were sinful. We were, uh, we were alienated from the life of God. But we heard the gospel, we believed it, received it, and we became saved. We became born again. The same way we received Christ is the exact same way we walk this Christianity out. Whatever we need. This relationship we now have with God, we live it by faith in His grace. His grace is always available. His grace has been there since the foundation of the world. But at the same point in time, we live this life by putting faith in His grace. In the decisions that we need to make. In financial, health decisions, direction, relationships, everything that we need. Adam didn't have any of these problems before the fall. He didn't have health needs. He didn't have relationship problems. He didn't have financial problems. He didn't have other things and back to all things that are going on in this world before the fall. 
Brass, brass, and a fall, and all these problems begin to happen. Adam ushered us into all this junk that we've been in. But Christ, the second Adam, the last Adam, has reversed the curse. He's the one that has redeemed us from the curse. He, we were dead, we were, spiritually, we were dead. We didn't have a relationship with God. But because of Jesus, he made it possible. We heard the gospel. It was very. It was. It was good news. What he did. We believed it. We're saved. It's very simple. It. It's it very little work that we have to do. All we have to do is believe it and receive it. He had to do all the work. He did everything. It wasn't easy. It wasn't simple for him. But it, he went to the cross, and it's profound. And because he died, he died for all. And he is our propitiation. But. See, when God created Adam and Eve before the fall, he said they were good. He said he created them in his image and his likeness. But the enemy, through, the, through a talking snake, through a serpent, came to deceive Eve that, that, God, that God was withholding something good from her or them. That did God really say that if you eat this fruit, you surely die? It wasn't so much that they eat the forbidden fruit. It was that they didn't trust God. I was reading an article this week from Andrew Womack uh, along those lines, but the, 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 the central point to every sin is not... Um, uh, I want to see if I can find this real quick. Excuse me, I didn't plan on going this direction, but I want to just read this uh, little thing I read about a sin, because it just applies. Excuse me one second, as I had... I wasn't planning on going here, but... Uh, Andrew said it so well. Okay. And this, uh, a lot of this has to do with, uh, uh, in the reference of uh, John 16, 8 to 11. And this is what John 16, 8 to 11 says. And when he has come, this, this writing with the righteousness. So if you want to, you go ahead and turn with me to John 16. Excuse me, I'm, I'm just detouring from my message right now for a moment. But it just fits right in to righteousness. And I'm just going to go along with this. Because I believe this is how enemy trips us up. It, it, has, it totally fits in with the beguilement, the, 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 the deception, the, this cunningness from the enemy. But John 8, 16, 8-11 says this, and when he has come, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness, see that's what we're talking about, righteousness, and of judgment and of sin, because they do not believe in me. For of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this ruler is judge. Okay? Let me just read something to you. Uh, and it was a little different than my normal MO. But this is from Andrew Womack, and, uh, from his commentary. He says, This is not a negative ministry, as many people think. The Holy Spirit doesn't convict people of things they do or that are wrong. That might go against our religious thinking sometimes. But of the fact that they aren't believing on Jesus. Those who don't tithe or give will not be convicted about the lack of giving but about the fact that they aren't trusting Jesus with their finances. All acts of sin comes from the one act of not believing on and resting in relationship 
with Jesus. Adam and Eve sinned, wasn't eating of the fruit, but not believing in the goodness of God. They bought the lie that God had withheld <coughs> something good from them. Genesis 3 5. They doubted God and believed the devil. David said, Against thee and thee only have I sinned. Psalm 51 4. The Lord said to David in 2 Samuel 12 10 that when David committed adultery and murder, he had despised God. The real root of David's sin was against God, not Uriah and Bathsheba. Joseph uh, kept his virginity because he told Potiphar's wife that he could not sin against God and do this wickedness in his sight, Genesis 39.9. The reason not to steal is because the action reveals a lack of trust in God as our source. The real reason not to commit adultery is because the act reveals that we do not believe the Lord when he said that from the beginning God made male and female and the two are to become one flesh, Mark 10, 6-8. They are not content with the one that has, one the Lord has given us. And <coughs> I'm sorry, we are not content with the one the Lord has given us and we are not full of God's love. If we were, we would not be looking to someone else to fill this void. I want to scroll down. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> it is always an evil heart that makes us depart from the living God. Our actions are not the real problem. They are the result of the symptoms of our evil hearts of unbelief. Uh, Hebrews 3.12 This is what the Holy Spirit convicts us of. People don't go to hell for their individual acts. The sins of the whole world have been already paid for, 1 John 2, 2. Individual sins are not the issue. The sin that sends men to hell is the rejection of Jesus, and that is what the Holy Spirit convicts us of. Um, the Holy Spirit doesn't convict believers that they are going to hell for the rejection of Jesus. That is not the case. All their sins are paid for, past, present, and even in the future, Romans 4, 8, Hebrews 9, 12, 14, 26, 28, 10, 10, and 14. But the Holy Spirit will convict believers about their lack or their trust or lack of trust in Jesus. That it, that's what it's all about, relationship. If believers commit adultery, the Holy Spirit will speak to them about the lack of relationship with the Lord. Why aren't they satisfied with Jesus and the may he has given them? That's exactly what the Lord spoke to David in 2 Samuel 12, 8. Christians who are having a problem with drink or dope aren't actually having a problem with trusting in Jesus. They are using the, some substance to cope instead of turning to Jesus. The underlying issue to all individual sins, believer or non-believer, is not believing or trusting in Jesus. Um, I know there's a lot here, um, but I, just, uh, I thought I would read some of that. I didn't read everything that I had there. I kind of got off my point that I am trying to make, but I, um, I, I forgot my point, more, more rather. But the enemy was deceiving Eve. And the, I believe the main sin that he and Andrew brings us out, it wasn't so much about the fruit. It was about not believing and trusting Jesus. Uh, actually, let me go back there real quick. He, he mentioned something here, too, about... Um, um, Jesus, too. I think that's what I overlooked. Okay. The real temptation of that for Jesus was not to turn the stones into bread. It was to disbelieve God. His father had just told him in an audible voice, 
that Jesus was his son and that he was well pleased. Matthew 3.17 and Luke 3.22. Satan said, if you are be the son of God, etc., the devil was trying to get Jesus to establish his identity outside of what God said to him. This is the same way he tries to tempt us. The question most of us are as are asking is not the real question, therefore the, the, the answer we are getting is not the real answer. Hebrews 4.15 says, Jesus was tempted at all points as, as we are, but was without sin. Jesus wasn't tempted with cocaine. He was tempted with unbelief. No. It is the root of all sin. And Jesus endured that in all facets. There are just three main areas where Satan can tempt us with unbelief. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. First John 2, 16. Jesus endured three temptations. I know I'm reading a lot, and I kind of got off my path here. But the main, all, I believe, all, I concur with Andrew, that the, the, the root behind all sin and all temptation, and I know there's different kinds of sin and different kinds of temptations and whatnot, and he, uh, anything that's out of faith is sin. And when we know to do good, but we don't do it, it's sin. The, the underlying thing behind all that is unbelief and not trusting God. Satan came to Eve to get her to distrust what God said. And what did God say? They were created in God's image, in God's likeness. They were good. He told them they had to partake of this fruit to become like God. No, they were already like God. He got them to doubt it. They, they, they got him to doubt that God was withholding, or believe that God was withholding something good from them. God had done nothing but treated them with good. They had the whole world at their disposal. Every tree, every plant they could partake, even the cocoa bean. And where we get chocolate and everything. They could partake. They were, there were no restrictions except for one tree. The knowledge of good and evil. And, uh, and that's a whole other message in, in itself too. And, uh, but it just, Paul is saying, I want to get back here to Second uh, Corinthians 11. Paul is saying that he fears, let's not count, as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupt from the simplicity that is in Christ. He says, he goes on to say, verse 4, for if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which we have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted. And this was his fear that he may put up with it. There's some teachings, there's some philosophies of thought that we, if we hear it, and it's a different gospel, a different Jesus, a different spirit, we may put up with it. There's something that Eve put up with that didn't come from God. It came from a talking snake. It came from the enemy. There's the, and we need to be grounded in the word of God so that we, like children, are not tossed to and fro from every wind of doctrine. And Paul goes on to say because of the, the, the cunningness, the craftiness, the, the trickery. Um, and so we need to be grounded. We need to be established. We need to be mature. And it's our job as pastors and teachers to equip you so you can be mature. We need to be pastor too. We need to be taught too. We need to make sure that we are teaching the truth. That we are walking with the truth. And we're not being... Uh, I believe there's a lot of pastors through the years who started well, but they got into some wrong teaching and they started going down the wrong path. And then they started teaching the wrong path and misleading the people. I don't think they necessarily went out there to intentionally rebel. I'm not saying there's not 
pastors who are, are cunning in that way. But uh, I, I think a lot of them didn't just didn't, didn't st uh, start off on the wrong path to, to deceive us. And some of them have been on the wrong path not because they they were they were cunning in one sense, but because they believed it wrong, they were taught it wrong, and now they teach what they know. And uh, now they might not be cunning, but the devil was. And uh, and. The the the, the 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 hardest part about being deceived is you don't know it. You can't know when you're deceived. You can't know when you're tricked. When in the middle of the trickery, in the middle of the deception, you don't know it. Eve didn't know it at the time she was being deceived. She what what they were doing was wrong, but but and her her mind was was corrupted through the te what was heard. Let's go, real quick right here. Let's go back to second uh, second Corinthians chapter four or three. Second Corinthians three. We'll pick it verse fourteen. Now this is the same book. This is the same letter Paul was reading, but this is uh, uh, seven chapters earlier. And he's talking about, he's comparing the ministry of righteousness and the spirit with the ministry of condemnation and, and death, which is the law. And he says in verse 14, but their minds were blinded. There's that blinding again of the minds. For until this day the same veil remains uplifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies in their hearts. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Scroll down to verse 3 of chapter 4. Same context. Don't let the chapters, divisions uh, confuse you. But in verse 3 of chapter 4 it says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Whose minds, the God of this age, that's the devil, the same devil that tricked Eve, has blinded who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. It, here, one of my main points I'm trying to make in this whole teaching of, of, from Paul is that the devil, is his plan is to deceive us from hearing and believing the true gospel of Christ. And we've already established that the gospel, Romans 1, 16 and 17, reveals the righteousness of God. The devil wants us to receive another gospel that reveals another message. I know there's other things that the, the gospel reveals, but it reveals the righteousness of God. Am I making sense? The enemy doesn't want to be tricked and deceived that we believe another message and we put up with it. And where does he do this trickery in our minds? He blinds us from the truth. He blinds us from, uh, uh, from the, the, the glory of the ministry. Can you read the context of chapter 3? He's talking about the ministry of righteousness. The ministry of righteousness uh, has more glory than the ministry of the law. Um, I hope you're making, making myself clear um, this morning. But Paul is fearing that our minds will be corrupted because of simplicity is in Christ. And how does this come? What does this look like? I think it comes in a lot of different ways in one way. But there, and, and, and again, it's boils down to when we just read from Andrew this unbelief that we distrust God, we distrust what he says we make it complicated so, you know part of what the enemy deceived Eve was, not so much that he, he, did God really say and not so much that God was withholding something 
But also part of that trickery was she needed to do something. She needed to partake of this fruit to become like God. Versus believing, just simply believing that God said she was already like God. Because that's how God created her. God has already recreated us, redeemed us in Christ. We just need to simply believe it. But our religious minds are still playing tricks on us in this sense. We still think we need to do something to earn it. Yes, we do things in response to who we are, but we don't do good things or noble things to become righteous. We are righteous because of what he did. Am I making sense? We, the law is holy, the law is good, and we still keep the law. We still don't murder, we still don't bear false witness, we still don't commit adultery. Why? Because when we do those things, and when we just what Andrew says, we're not trusting God as our source. We're not trusting God. We don't do the same because we love one another. We don't do the same because that, we don't have the desire anymore. But we don't do the, we don't refrain from doing the things become righteous. We do, or become holy, we refrain from doing these things because we are righteous. We are holy because of what he has done for us. That makes sense. And so, <coughs> sometimes when we're praying for healing, for example, somehow we still think there's something we need to do. Maybe we're not praying right for different things. And, and it's not so much about the prayer, as who are we trusting? Are we trusting our prayer? Or are we trusting the cross? Are we trusting what he's provided? That by his stripes we are healed. Versus me praying the right prayer, using the right words. Does that make sense? We hear a lot of it, and, we, we hit, and, we, and we've done it ourselves. Sometimes we're focused on what we're doing instead of what he's already done. Our, we're putting trust in our prayer. We're, doing pro, we're, trusting, that our, we're trusting our tithing <coughs> versus trusting that he's our source. That makes sense. I believe in tithing. I believe uh, in, in uh, you, you reap what you sow. There's spiritual principles. There's spiritual laws God's put in the earth. And the, 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 those are principles. But I'm not trusting what I'm doing. I'm trusting his word, his promises are yes and amen in Christ through us. Am I making sense? But because I trust him, I will obey him. I don't obey him to become righteous. I obey him because I am righteous and I trust him. There's a difference. I don't try, I don't obey him so that he's pleased with me. I know he's pleased with me and I trust him. And in response, I will obey him because I trust him. There's a difference. Who am I relying on? Am I relying on my obedience? Or am I relying on his word, his promises, his truth? And I'm obeying in response to, I trust you. I mean, it had to take faith to build a boat when it hadn't rained yet on a mountain. Noah, it took faith for Joshua to walk around the wall seven times, and on the seventh day, seven times, and just shout, and the wall's going to come down. They don't teach you that in military school. They don't teach you that at boot camp. You know, it just, it's not a military strategy. But I trust God. I trust what he says. I trust God to, to gather all of my neighbors, all the jugs and jars I can, and this little oil as I pour it is going to fill all those jugs, and I, when I go sell it, I can pay off my debts. I can trust God that when he comes to me, I'd have been fishing all night and caught nothing, that I go and launch out into the deep according to his word, let down the nets for a catch, or cast the boat on the other side of the boat. 
I got the fisher over there. I go there on this side. Don't they swim under the boat too? You know, but I trust God. I obey his word because I trust him. Not to get him pleased with me. He's already pleased with me because of Jesus. But I'm going to trust him on his word. Uh, am I making sense this morning? But when we trust our right, when we're, see, when we're, when we're not establishing righteousness, though, we, we have a tendency of not trusting God even on his word because we're still trying to get right with God. We're still trying to fix this. Let alone our prayer being answered. Let alone the thing we're believing on. We're trying to get God to please us. We're trying to get God to recognize us. God's already pleased with us. God already loves us. We're already right with God because of Jesus. Now, because the just will live by his faith. The righteous will live by his faith. And we live by trusting God. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. In the life I live, I live by the faith of God. And his love who gave himself for me. That makes sense. Uh, I'm living my life by trusting my and I, 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 I'm seeing things totally different. Um, go with me real quick uh, to Galatians chapter 4. How many of you know we are in a war with the enemy? And where the, his battle is, he, is a battle of the mind. He doesn't come dressed in a red suit with horns and a little, little uh, fork. <laughs> he comes, a pitchfork, he comes as an angel of light. And he comes to deceive us. He comes to trip our minds up. And a lot of times he will use scripture, he will use the law, he will use different things to get us deceived. But, and he's out to shipwreck our faith. We're in a fight of our faith. Paul said, we read this before, but he comes to he's coming to perfect that which is lacking in that faith. Our faith needs to be in Christ, not in ourselves, not in man. But, and, and remember, we were talking about how the law is this veil that blinds us. And we're going to spend soon on this time a little bit as we go forward. But in, the, in Galatians chapter 4, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. But a big majority of the chapter, Paul is used comparing Hagar with Sarah. Hagar is the the the, uh, the bond woman, where Sarah is the free woman. Paul makes a statement in chapter, Galatians chapter four, where these two women, these two mothers, are an allegory, and comparing one gave birth to Ishmael, and one gave birth to Isaac. One was the son of promise. And one was born in the lust of the flesh. Ishmael, how did Ishmael come about? God made a promise to Abraham and to Sarah that they were going to have a son. They were barren, all the way up to their 90s and 100s. They were barren. They didn't have a child. Somewhere in that idea, Sarah had this novel idea. Well, obviously my body's not working, so let, let's, get, let's put, get Hagar involved and let's create, let's help God out. <laughs> Which is what self-righteousness looks like. We try to help it out. We try to do it. We try to put our oar in there and get involved. And then this whole thing, they created an Ishmael. It was a son of Adam, Abraham, but it didn't come from Sarai. Because God was very specific. It's going to come through Sarah, not Hagar. 
And this whole comparison is a comparison between, you know, when we, when we try to get involved and we try to manufacture something that God has promised to us by His Spirit through righteousness, through cross, we make an Ishmael out of it. And this Ishmael, when he was born, began to persecute Isaac. I see this, I see this persecution, and I've taught him this before, and actually it says in verse 29, it says, uh, during Galatians 4, verse 29 says, actually, let me pick up verse 28. Now, brethren, now we, brethren, as Isaac was, uh, now, now we, brethren, as Isaac was, our children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh, Ishmael, then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. Let's pause there for just one moment. This, I see this older, Ishmael's older brother, Isaac's the younger brother. Not that I'm not I'm not speaking towards whether you're the firstborn or the second one. I'm not speaking to that. At the same point in time, I've seen this pattern throughout Scripture. Cain and Abel. I see the older and the younger, older persecuting the younger. He Cain killed Abel. Uh, I see uh, this uh, persecution happen between uh, Jacob and Esau. I see this persecution happen between uh, Eliab. David's older brother, when he came on the scene with 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 Goliath, he he he, he got on his case. He 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 about uh, he was cocky about what he was talking about Goliath. I see this uh, same persecution happen with the prodigal brother and his older brother uh, uh, between how he derided him uh, because of uh, uh, when he returned back home. I see the same persecution happen throughout Scripture, but. Uh, and I see, I see it also uh, this and with uh, remember Jesus. He hung out with the publicans and sinners. He was actually the whole prodigal story came out because he was hanging out with the publicans and sinners, and the religious leaders derided him for doing so. And uh, it's a beautiful story of the prodigal son. But God, Jesus was making a point with the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin that God celebrates when one sinner comes to repentance, when one sinner comes to the kingdom, he will throw a party. And the same thing, it's a beautiful story, redemption of the prodigal son who lived in prodigal living because of his own error, because of his own selfishness and pride, and, and, and the prodigal living was horrible. He wasn't, but when he came home, how he showed how the father clothed him with the robe of righteousness, put the ring of authority back on his finger, and the sandals of sonship back on his feet, gave him, killed the fat of calf, kissed him, and, and, uh, and Brother King was coming back with the rehearsed speech that he's no longer going to be called his son, but no, he, he, but he's a, but the father didn't even let him rehearse that speech because he said, you are my son. You're not my your son because of what you've done wrong. You're my son because I love you. And what the, what the, the prodigal thought he wasn't worthy because of everything he'd done wrong, but the older brother thought he was worthy because of everything he'd done right. And that doesn't, both are wrong. We're not sons and children of God because of what we've done wrong. Behold what, <coughs> Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. We are children of God because of His love towards us, not because of what we've done to earn it or lose it. That makes sense. And so, so we see this persecution with Ishmael and Isaac, but and and get, remind me that Hagar represents the law. I, Paul said that. I didn't say that. I didn't come up with that. But the word of God talks about Hagar, it represents the law. Nevertheless, verse 30, Galatians 4.30, Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free women. 
So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. And back in 2 Corinthians 3, you don't have to turn there, Paul is making a comparison with the law, Hagar, and the ministry of righteousness. And he says, the law is like a veil that blinds our minds. And I, I don't have these scriptures in front of me, but there's some, there, there's some scriptures that Paul uses in Colossians and whatnot, how the enemy will use the law to condemn us. It's called the ministry of condemnation and the ministry of death. And the enemy will do, do that. And, uh, and if we are not grounded in the word of righteousness, if we're not grounded in what the gospel reveals, the enemy can beguile us and trip us up in our mind, in our thinking, in our, if we are not indoctrinated, reproved, corrected, and trained in righteousness. Not only can we not minister to others, but the enemy can use that against us to get us all confused and be what and we're not going to grow. And Paul is, is, is saying that if you hear another gospel, another Jesus, another uh, spirit that I, ha that I have not taught you, you may put well with it. He goes on to say, show with me real quick here to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians 1 verse 6. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel which is yet not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the, pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we are an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be a curse. Again we say, have said, <coughs> therefore, <coughs> so now I am saying again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, that what you have received, let him, let me read verse 9 again. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be a curse. Paul is using even stronger language here in chapter 1 than he used in, Galatians, in Corinthians, I believe. I mean, he's, and he, he, he wants you to make sure that you don't misunderstand him. Paul is very adamant. And using strong language here about being a curse, if we were to listen to or receive any other gospel than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And specifically, in our study, we talked how the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. Am I making sense? It's dangerous for us to believe another gospel. Paul doesn't want us to put it up for there. And he says, if anyone preaches another gospel, let him be a curse. He says, as if we didn't, in case we didn't understand him, he repeats himself in verse, chapter, verse 9. Go with me real quick to uh, Galatians 3. Galatians 3, verse 1. All foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly betrayed among you as crucified. This one I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are now being made perfect by the flesh? Again, there's some very strong language that Paul is using here. He's calling them foolish. And he said, he's saying here that 
Who's bewitched you? Bewitched your minds? Who's got you to, to believe the wrong thing? That uh, if you began in the spirit, how are you made perfect by the flesh? How if you're made perfect because of what Jesus did for you, putting on true righteousness and holiness? And we read uh, a few weeks ago from uh, Ephesians chapter five how he has like a, a, a husband uh, prepares a, 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 his bride. So Christ has loved the church, how he has sanctified us. He has made us without spot and without wrinkle. He, our husband, our savior, has presented us to Christ, to himself, as a spotless bride. But a lot of religion sometimes teaches us that we are saved by his grace, but now that we're saved, we have to keep ourselves holy. We have to keep ourselves. And we're, we live holy, we live righteous because we are righteous. Yes, we need to obey him. Yes, if sin is still deadly, but we're not the ones that saved ourselves. Am I making sense? And we need to make sure we're not bewitched and that we need to perfect ourselves. He says here, did you receive the Spirit, verse 2, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? We didn't receive the Spirit because we had our life together. We received it by grace. We received it, um, and it's a gift of God. Am I, am I making sense or am I confusing and we have to make sure that the enemy does not bewitch us through subtlety, through craftiness, to, to beguilement, the same way he beguiled Eve, that we think that we have to do something to become more like God. No, we become established who we are in Christ, and we let his nature, his spirit, his life flow from us from the inside out, not the outside in. Another way I, I describe this many times is I love Christmas trees. I know we're not in the Christmas season, but Christmas trees are beautiful. I love them. I love the smell of them, whether they're fake or whether they're real. I, I, we choose to like the real ones, uh, I, I, uh, but we, but they're, they're beautiful. And everyone adorns them to their own taste and their own, their own style. But a Christmas tree, as beautiful as it is in this right season, uh, it's a little distasteful to me to see a Christmas tree outside of Christmas time, but uh, yeah, I, I, I enjoy their Christmas time. But they're still beautiful. Okay, that's a whole other message, so we'll let that one go. Uh, but uh, it's just, uh, uh, Christmas trees are beautiful, but they're adorned with things that are not as nature. I mean, I know sometimes people put pine cones and things, that, that, that's natural. But trees by nature don't have lights. Trees by nature don't have flock snow. <laughs> trees by nature don't have a bunch of uh, 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 the, the little bulbs on them, uh, Christmas bulbs and decorations and whatnot. We adorned it with things that's not its nature. It's beautiful, but it's, it didn't grow those things by nature. And in many ways, some of the Christmas trees are just, the, the tree itself is not its nature. It's fake. But a fruit tree, in comparison, a fruit tree, an apple tree, for instance, grows fruit that is its nature. A Christmas tree is adorned from the outside. A fruit tree grows fruit from the inside. And before we end this series, we're going to talk about the fruit of righteousness and the fruit of holiness. We don't become right with God because we adorned our tree, our lives, with right and godly things. That doesn't make us righteous and holy. No, we are holy and righteous because we are born again. We're born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed. There's no corruption in the seed of Christ. And as we 
become established in who we are in Christ. God, His nature in us and through us begins to bring righteousness and holiness and right deed and godliness comes out of our lives that's pleasing to His sight. Does that make sense? And as we trust Him, not what we do. See, when we don't trust Him, His Word, we can venture to go into different temptations of, of sin, of not trusting God. Would it not be murder, adultery, not stealing, not giving, not trusting God? Some of us don't see us murdering people, some of us don't see, but there's some other sins that we can end up doing if we are not trusting God as our source, if we're not trusting God as our righteousness, if we are not basing everything we do out of a relationship of abiding in Him and abiding in His words. When we I know when I'm not abiding in God in the moment, and I'm not trusting God in the moment, my attitude can be wrong. I can get into a bad mood. I can get all emotional about something. I can get depressed. I can get discouraged. I can think negative. And, and what happened? I just got, for a moment, I got disconnected from, from God. And this flesh, this, the, 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 the flesh begins to, to, to run its course. But I also know that when I'm, I'm, I'm tight with God, I'm, 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 I'm in relationship with God the way, in a healthy way, in a healthy manner, there's just life, there's love, there's peace, there's kindness. My thoughts are good, they're, they're encouraging, they're, they're promising. Even in, if I'm going through a negative thing, there's just peace and joy and love and, and wisdom flowing through. That makes sense. Walk in the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh, it says in Galatians 5.16. The key to controlling the flesh is not controlling the flesh. That's impossible. You can't control the flesh by the flesh. I've had addictions and stuff, and I've, I know people who have it. You can't control the flesh by the flesh. You can only walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Paul compares the, the, the Spirit, the ministry of the Spirit, with the ministry of righteousness in 2 Corinthians 3, 7 and 9. So I believe as we walk in righteousness, because we are righteous like a fruit tree from the inside out, we will walk in righteousness and we will not give heed to the, the, the flesh. But when we try to do it from the outside in through religion, through Hagar, through the bondwomen, in different ways, we will find ourselves doing ugly, nasty things that we thought we wouldn't do. Uh, we don't control the flesh. We don't walk righteous and holy because we are good enough. We walk righteous and holy because He in us is good. That makes sense? The source. When, whether, and when I talk to religious people, both of us want, are about walking holy and walking godly and walking righteously. Where we defer on is how we do that. The source of how we do that. How, where we defer on is who we are trusting for others not to come about. A lot of religious people are trusting the flesh to perform that way. I'm trusting God in me, Christ in me, His Spirit. Yes, I need to respond. Yes, I need to, to cooperate. But really, it's Him who's working in me. Turn with me real quick here. I wasn't going to go here, but it says Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we'll start verse 12. And Paul, speaking here again, says, Therefore, my beloved, 
as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but not, not now much more in my absence. It's this phrase I want to get to. Now, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And I've heard that scripture all my life. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But people stop there. But I don't know about your translation, but mine ends with a semicolon. Some translations end with a comma. So, me, to me, when I'm going to quote somebody, let's quote him. Let's, let's finish the whole thought. Let me phrase this again, or I'm going to read the last portion. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Yes, we have a part to play to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, but we are not doing it by ourselves. If we're doing it by ourselves, that's self-righteousness. We It's God who is at work in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We're still going to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, but we're not doing it by ourselves. It's God in us who is doing it. If there's any good in my life, if there's any good I've done as a brother, as a husband, as a pastor, it's because of God in me. It's not me. I, don't, I am not boasting what I've done. I will boast in what I've done and giving thanks to God when that enabled me to do it. That makes sense? You know, people will, will give me accolades sometimes after I teach or whatever. Praise God. But I, I, I know in my own mind, it's not me, it's Christ in me who's been preaching. That makes sense? I'll still receive it, but I, I know. I can't get cocky. I can't, get, I can't be prideful. That was just me. Cause it wasn't just, I, have, I have ministered before out of the flesh. And it doesn't go so well. I know it. And usually when I preach out of the flesh, I feel drained afterwards. Because I just did it in the flesh. But there's been times where I know it's the Spirit of God. And usually when I hit that way, I'm just pumped. I'm ready. I'm usually really hungry afterwards. I just feel good. I feel pumped. I'm ready. But at the time where I've done it in the flesh, and I just feel drained. And that was just me. It wasn't God. And so I know the difference. Uh, hopefully I'm making sense. I, I, my main, one of my main points is we, Paul warns us to be beguiled. We need to be careful. You know, there's other scriptures that says, and the man think he stands to keep lest he fall. We need to be careful. We need to be sober-minded. That we be diligent. And then we, you know, we can get so cocky in ourselves that we don't think the enemy can trip us up. He can. If we don't, if we let him. We need to be in the Word. We need to be in relationship with God. We need to be walking in the Spirit. We need to be established uh, in the Word of Righteousness. We need to, we need to, uh, go back with me. I keep quoting it, but I go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll pick up verse 11 to get the context. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. I got the right order there. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Verse 13. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In the King James, you'll, have, you'll see a colon after verse 13. I don't see one in the King, New King James, but uh, 
There's a colon. The colon means uh, uh, it's going to expound. Why? Why is he doing this? Why are we being equipped to to be be to be come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the fullness? Why are we? I, I see maturity in here. I see growth. I see uh, someone who's growing up in Him in all things, which He repeats in verse 15. But yeah, verse 15. But in verse 14 he says, That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, verse 15, may grow up in all things, up in all things into him who is the head of Christ. We need to mature. But we are mature, so we won't be like children being tossed by every wind of doctrine, so that our minds can't be deceived by the simplicity that's in Christ. So it's important. It's important that we're not just in a church where we feel good. I'm not. I can't, I'm not against feeling good, and I'm not trying. I'm not trying to advertise our church. I just. We, but we need to be under good teaching. We need to be under a good environment, where we are being taught the truth, so that we are being discipled. They become mature Christians so that we would not be tossed by every wind and doctrine. That makes sense. By some trickery and the simplicity that's in Christ Jesus. Okay. One more scripture. Maybe two. I'm going to wrap this up here in just a second. Galatians chapter 5, verse 4. He says, again, Paul's using almost the same language he used in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, You have been estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. Keep your finger there. If I go with me to 1 Corinthians 1, verse 17. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. There's a lot here, but I want to, I'm highlighting two things. I didn't, uh, 1 Corinthians 1 17, lest the, Christ of Christ, lest the cross of Christ become of no effect. And what we just read from Galatians 5 4, you have become estranged from Christ who has attempted to be justified by the law. I want to wrap up today's teaching with this thought. You know, the, the cross of Christ can have no effect in your life if you are trusting what you're doing. Because it says, you have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law. That word, again, that word justified, justification is the same word for righteousness. We don't become justified. We don't become righteous because of what we do. We can be justified because of what he's done. Is that making sense? We have to make sure we have that foundation. How do we become justified? How do we become righteous? We become righteous because of what Jesus did. When we put faith in his grace, we become the righteousness of God. That's how we become righteous. We do not become righteous because of what we do. We live holy because we are holy. We, we, are, we start out not being righteous. We start out being a sinner. We start out not being saved. But we become saved. We hear the gospel. We believe the gospel. We become saved. 
we become righteous, we become justified, we become sanctified. There's different attributes that we can talk about. We don't become justified because of what we do, we become justified because of what we put faith in what he did. If we, if we became, but some of us think that we become justified because we keep the law. No, we don't become justified because we keep the law. We become justified because we are, we, we, believe, we become justified because we believe what he did in fulfilling the law. But now that we're saved, now that we're righteous, we still keep the law. Not to become righteous, but because we are righteous. Does that make sense? But he's focused on you become estranged from Christ when you attempt to be justified. You can't be justified by law, but when you in your mind, in your thinking, attempt to become justified by law, you not only become estranged from Christ, you fall from grace. You can't fall from something if you uh, didn't have to begin with. And he goes on to say in Corinthians that he's teaching us, he's saying so that Christ will have will not have no effect in our lives. I want Christ to have effect in my life. If I'm trusting what I'm doing, I'm not letting God do it. I'm not letting Christ do it. And Christ is a lot more holier than I am. He's a lot more righteous than I am. And he's a lot more supernatural than I am. His faith, his love, his nature is perfect. I'm not. And I can't do it. I'll mess it up. <coughs> but he and me won't mess it up. Am I making sense? I need to wrap up this morning a little earlier than we normally do. Um, um, but at some point in time, I, I feel like I'm leaving a hanging now. Uh, it took me a lot longer than I, I wanted to because I got on some side trails this morning. But I want to make sure we leave on a confusing note. That what I'm trying to get us to teach is that, uh, and learn, I know, that we are going to be building on this because when we get to our next major point, I'm going to build on this some more. Is that we are righteous because of what Jesus did when we believe his grace. But the enemy will try to trip us up and think that we can do it. Or even if we start out right, even when we start out with the right believing and we become righteous, somewhere along the way, the journey, we get bewitched into thinking, now that we started in the spirit by grace, we have to live this life by performance. And he trips us up. And we need to make sure that we keep, if we're going to allow God to use us and to walk in the supernatural and to, to, to stay on the, the right path, we need to be trusting in his grace and not be regardless of another gospel. I, I, I'm going to build on this. I'm going to, my, my heart is going to it's like in the midst of all this teaching that I'm trying to get about righteousness, there's a warning here. And it's a warning so we don't go back down the same path we just came from. And so that we don't get shipwrecked along the way. We started out well. We were on the boat. We were going well. But somewhere the enemy shipwrecks our faith because we somewhere get our eyes off trusting him, his gospel, and we start trusting us or someone else. And that's where our faith becomes shipwrecked. And then we get frazzled and frustrated. Why is it not working? And, and, and we feel lost. We feel, if you're ship, I'm a shipwreck, I've never been a shipwreck. You're lost. And you, you're trying to get an airplane or someone to notice you. You need help. And some people, spiritually speaking, they're lost. They don't know. They just started, well, it was so good. How did I get where I'm at? I don't even know where I'm at. But it's not a good place. And their faith has become ineffectual because they're not acknowledging every good thing that's in them in Christ Jesus. They're trusting themselves. Uh, but God's their Savior, their, their provider, their deliverer, their source, their righteousness. They're not. 
and we lose our way. Lord, we worship you, we exalt you, we magnify you. Lord, I don't know if I'm communicating this well, but Lord, I, I help pray that not only today, but in this week, and as we come back next week, that you help us to understand this. Not to, not to fear, because you didn't give us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. That we so be so established, but we also know where, where to put our guards up, so we don't go down the wrong path. So we don't get confused, so we don't get frustrated, we don't get in the flesh. But we learn what it means to even cast out the bondwoman and her son. Because we're not son of the bondwoman, we're son of the free. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we give you thanks. Amen. Sorry, keep it a little shorter today. So we'll see you tonight if you yeah, those you can. Um, and just you guys don't have to rush off. She does need to go to work.